Welcome to Radio Survivor, where you're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reismandel. Hello, everybody. Eric Clyde here. And today we're going to talk about an opportunity to get a radio station that is coming up here. Uh, it looks to be in 2021. We've said this before on the show, but it's probably the question we receive the most via email. And it is, how do I get a radio station? And much of the time, the answer is, Either you you go and you buy one that is pre-existing, which can cost tens, hundreds, or millions of dollars, or you wait around till the FCC gives you the go sign, and you can apply for one. And coming up in 2021, we're looking forward to the opportunity to apply for a full-powered non-commercial station or later on. A low power FM radio station. Yeah, and we we know, and we're talking about non commercial radio, and this is definitely a once in a decade opportunity or so. Historically, this has not happened. This has not happened since Radio Survivor has been on the air. It's a really unique moment, and on today's program, we're talking with an expert on media law. No, well, not media law. What is the what is the term of art for? for understanding how to apply for things at well, the FCC. I mean, FCC. he is a broadcast lawyer. His name is Frank Montero. He's a partner with broadcast Fletcher Field Law. and Hildreth. And uh, they're in Arlington, Virginia, and they specialize in broadcast law. Um, and they have uh, a website that they run called Com Law Blog, which is a great resource for media nerds such as myself who like to catch up on what's going on with the FCC. And they also break down a lot of you know, what it means to broadcasters and potential broadcasters. And yeah, we want to find out more because we know that there's interest out there and, and you know, but it's not just common knowledge that right. people have. Uh, it's not like getting a driver's license or even like a small business license. You don't just all of a sudden decide one day I want a radio station and call up the FCC. There's a process and uh, depending on the kind of license you want to get, there's a lot of ducks you have to get into sure. a row. And it's and you know, radio now s- is the time to begin thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, for, the, for these new... Uh, you know, Radio Survivor has been on the air for about five years, and we have celebrated low-power uh, FM that whole time. And that's that's a newer kind of small community radio station, non-commercial radio station, that came on the scene um, really in the 21st century uh, as a result of acti- media activism in the 90s. And there will be a new window for low-power FM, which is, did I say this, neighborhood radio, not citywide non-commercial radio, but... Uh, on today's show, we're really focusing more on full power non-commercial radio because it's it's bigger. It's, it's the bigger first opportunity deal. coming, and, and it's a big deal because we're talking about the ability right, to reach uh, metropolitan areas. If you think about uh, many of the uh, sort of legacy community radio stations you might have heard of, whether it's a KPFA in Berkeley, a KBOO in Portland, Oregon, WBAI in New York, uh, WORT in Madison, Wisconsin um, – you know, KGNU in Boulder, Colorado, these are full power stations, right? And they reach much of their metropolitan areas with their signal. Um, they have bigger transmitters, they have bigger towers, they have bigger uh, audience equipment, and they have bigger audiences. Um, but uh, as we as we also get into, they also have uh, larger costs uh, associated with getting on the air as well as larger costs to, to sort of stay on the air. And these are some things to consider. But nevertheless, because this opportunity doesn't happen very often, we think it's great to educate uh, the audience of Radio Survivor about 
how this might happen because um, the great thing about putting one of these stations on the air is, is then it's there, right? And that's why we talk about these legacy stations that are celebrating their 50th anniversaries or 60th anniversaries, right? That have been able to become cornerstones of community media in their communities because of the opportunity to have this kind of license and, and, and really get this kind of, uh, this kind of reach, which tends to also rally community support. And we, we want you all to learn more and also understand that it's, you know, it really is is a valuable and rare opportunity. Yeah, and I think, you know, Radio Survivor, we certainly love uh, talk and public affairs, but the non-commercial license allows for, um, you know, you could be a music radio station. I think, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of um, a handful of my favorite non-commercial music stations that, that are out there in the United States, as well as um, Christian broadcasting is t- tends to be non-commercial in the United States. So it's, you know, I don't think the FCC's uh, licensing process for these new stations is really going to—it's it's content agnostic, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Provided that that you that you are dedicated to an educational mission that you can you can definitely articulate. Yeah, classical uh, radio so- is is and you're associated with a nonprofit organization um, because these again are not commercial radio stations. They may not be run for profit. They may not be owned by for profit enterprises. They may not run commercials, right? So, you know, these are these are some very important restrictions and why this entire band um, from from basically 88 megahertz to 92, 91.9 megahertz on your FM dial is set aside, yeah. is really for this non-commercial educational purpose. And I left out one other uh, really important category that we love here at Radio Survivor, which is college radio stations. This right. is an opportunity for college radio stations or even high school radio stations, middle school radio stations to go full power in their communities, which we know is going to be more difficult in uh in dense urban areas that already have established, you know, media landscapes that are that are quite full and robust. But it's a really um, it's a fun opportunity to get excited about uh, some of these other places in the United States that have less less radio on their airwaves. It's it's a it's an opportunity for new stations to go on the air there. I'm happy to welcome from Arlington, Virginia. We have Frank Montero, who's a partner with Fletcher Healed in Hildreth. A communications law firm that that has a lot of experience uh, working in radio in particular. And we're here today to talk a little bit about some upcoming licensing opportunities for people who might want to get their own radio stations. Welcome to the show, Frank. It's good to be here, Paul. Uh, Wonderful. Thank you for having me. So I know that the uh, FCC announced uh, very recently that there's going to be uh, an opportunity coming around in 2021 for folks to be able to apply for a full-power, non-commercial radio license. And because I know that we have folks, you know, who are listening in on the radio, who are new to all of this and thinking about radio and some, some old pros as well in the audience – you know, can you tell us actually a little bit about like what is a non-commercial radio license? Like how does how does that differ f- or you know from say what someone might hear from their typical commercial radio license? Yeah, well, um so the FCC did make or the chairman it started out with the chairman of the FCC making an announcement that they were going to be opening up what is referred to as a filing window that gives an opportunity for the public to file for these frequencies in the non-commercial band. The non-commercial FM band is that lower part 
of the FM register where you tend to find many of the non-commercial stations, college, university stations, NPR affiliates. It's located in the in the 80s uh, band range. And within that band, that is a segment of the FM uh, a band that was deliberately set aside for purely non-commercial purposes. Um, the FCC had already opened up a window for filing commercial applica- FM applications last year, or actually, yeah, it was earlier this year, I guess it was. And uh, and then the, and then there was going to be an auction uh, uh, for those for those uh, applicants that were uh, mutually exclusive with each other. And we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit more about what that means. But then everything, of course, got put on hold because of the pandemic with things slowly uh, ramping back up. The FCC is looking to go reinstitute that, that FM auction that is sort of a threshold matter that has to be taken care of. And then the current FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, sent a letter after a hearing this summer to uh, Congress to basically say that um, it was their intention to be opening up a non-commercial FM window in the very near future after the commercial auction was done. And now it appears that they're starting to move forward with that. Originally, there was speculation that it might happen before the end of 2020. But I think you're right now. It's probably almost certainly going to happen a little later in 2021. And for a non-commercial license, if someone were to say, hey, you know, I might like to start a college radio station or I might like to start uh, a community radio station uh, what are the qualifications? Can I, can I, you know, Paul Reesmanel? Can I just uh, submit my application to the FCC during during this window? Well, the community stations, and perhaps in some instances, uh, college stations that you're referring to are frequently low power uh, FM stations, and I know we're going to be talking about that a little later. That's a, considered by the FCC to be a separate classification. These are non-commercial FM stations that are are usually, um, you know, run by. They're they're a little more expensive to to, to operate. They have more power, but yes, there are um, limits in in, in, ta- in terms of who is qualified. Uh, they they are they they tend to be uh, 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 steered toward um, universities. Um, Nonprofit organizations, in some instances, um, governments, uh, like local governments or lo- local communities, but basically not commercial enterprises. That's that's usually tends to be the uh, the, the qualifier there. So um, so so and and there is in fact, you know, w- with regard to um, the non-governmental entities that they be. Um, nonprofit organizations that are that are usually running. That's why you you frequently will see them going with uh, with colleges or universities, or some in some cases just uh, nonprofit groups that have pulled together to to own and operate uh, a uh, non commercial stage. It's kind of like you see with Pacifica Foundation and others. Yeah, and you mentioned you know that these are are, are higher power stations. I think we you know we commonly at least uh, call them sort of uh, full power stations. Uh, you mentioned they have higher power, so so give us a sense of, like when you talk about higher power, like like how much 
how much power might that be and, and what kind of coverage areas are we talking about could be possible? Sort of just a range. Right. Well, the traditional non-commercial FM stations tend to have coverage areas that are really not unlike what you would see with a commercial radio station, um, you know, depending on the signal that they are putting out or the, the, the design of the coverage area. They can cover a metropolitan area. Um, they can uh, uh, put out a, a, a fairly good signal to, to blanket a large, uh, even a college town or, or, or metropolitan area in much the same way that you might see with a, uh, a full power commercial station. They're, they're, they're very similar. Think, you know, in, in your mind, you know, what you would see with, say, a, an NPR affiliate in, in, your, uh, in your community or with a large uh, uh, college university uh, a radio station. That's to be distinguished from the low power stations, which tend to have much reduced coverage area. They're almost cellular in type. They, they, they may cover, you know, uh, a, 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 a neighborhood, a, a large college universe, uh, uh, campus size uh, stretch of land, but they're not the kind of thing that you would see that to be able to, to, to cover an entire metropolitan area. So the real advantage is that you you would have a potentially much larger uh, listenership because you're covering a larger geographic area. You also sort of alluded to uh, they're more expensive to run, and that's sort of directly proportional to some extent uh, for the amount of power that you have to put out, right? Whereas low-power FM, there's a limit of about 100 watts, and in this case, we could be talking about kilowatts of power, correct? That's exactly right. The, the, the equipment is, is is more expensive. The, uh, the, the 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 compliance requirements are more complicated and more involved. Um, you know, you 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 know, placement on towers and the like. All, all the various aspects of the operation tend to be uh, uh, more pricey and more expensive. Low power FM, and it's interesting because I mean, I know again, not to get sidetracked off of. Uh, into low power at this stage yet, but low power FM, which was a service that was actually created when I was at the FCC in the late 1990s, was specifically designed to be a service that could be very user friendly so that small community organizations, small colleges, churches, high schools even could um, could do a lot of the engineering work on their own. Could do a lot of the um, you know the the the, the, the construction and uh, and 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 the the, the 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 build out on their own and to make it very cost effective. Which is not to say that the you know the full power stations are are prohibitive, but it's good to go in with your eyes open and to understand that that a full power non commercial station is not going to have the same economies of scale as a low power. Yeah, just just for reference, I I had the opportunity to visit a Portland radio station uh, putting up their low power FM radio antenna, and it was on top of a one story building, right? And it was uh, about twenty feet tall. It was very it was a it was a thing that could be done with uh with the power of people's muscles, not with uh, cranes. It was a pretty that's amazing correct. it was a pretty amazing thing to witness. Yeah, that's right. And it, in contrast, I mean, if you you know with 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 a non commercial a full power non-commercial station. I mean, think of, you know, having to lease space on established large towers, much higher uh, uh, height, uh, 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 placement of the antennas. You know, some, a lot of them sometimes are on, are on 
large towers in tower farms. So you're going to have to be, you know, negotiating tower leases and the like. The studio setups are usually more complicated as well. It's it's just very different. And you alluded to the fact that that for low power FM, uh, the engineering is pretty straightforward. That that you know, again, it's intended to be accessible. So how is it for <laughs> how is it for a full power non commercial license? What I mean, if if I were to have a say a nonprofit in a community, and I thought, wow, it'd be great, you know, if we could get a full power license. Um, you know, is this something that I'm prepared to do myself? Probably if I don't have training. <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, I mean, if you perhaps if you're an engineer, but I mean, we you know we strongly urge uh, uh, anyone who is interested in in, in in applying for a full power non commercial station to you know to 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 to, to consult with a consulting engineer. Um, this is different, for example, uh, than you know an, an engineer that you might have on site who is the person who is um, you know charged with setting up your equipment or, 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 or mounting your equipment on a tower. The consulting engineers are, you know, a, a, a specialized breed that, um, that usually tend to do a lot of their work off of, um, off of uh, computers, using computer programs that have uh, that and, and track all, uh, you know, existing other uh, spectrum users in a particular area. And, uh, and their job is to um, locate, um, you know, usable spectrum within the, uh, within the uh, reserved band, because again, you, 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 there's a certain number of limitations that are imposed by the FCC, both in terms of, you know, the amount of power that you can have, as well as what channels that you can use, the not the, what frequencies that you can use, and their job there is to is to try to locate available spectrum. I, I you know, it's funny. I liken it a little bit to um, you know trying to find a parking spot in a parking garage. You know, you're the, the, what they're what they're basically looking for is is space where they can a, a, a new station can be placed, and sometimes the, they will design what that station looks like. And that may involve, you know, a, a, an, an omnidirectional signal, which radiates, you know, 360 degrees around a, 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 an antenna and tower, or they may have to sort of wedge in a new signal, which may require directionalizing that signal a little bit. And that's their job is to sort of design uh, what, what a, a hypothetical station is going to look like. Paul, is Um, this, is this a good time to ask about where, 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 it, what kind of space is left on the radio dial in most Absolutely. places? Absolutely, that was my next question. You know, we we hear we we broadcast from Portland, Oregon. Eric and I, and we have colleagues in San Francisco. And I look at the left end of our dial here, um, and I and it looks pretty saturated. Doesn't seem to be a lot of spaces. Is are you know where where are these opportunities likely to be to put on a new uh, non commercial community college or public station? Right. I mean, I think that's I think that's true. And I think that's a that, that, that's an issue that's not just confined to the non-commercial band. I mean, that's across the across the, 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 the spectrum uh, entirely. You know, you in, in the in the last uh, commercial uh, auction that was or the, the commercial commercial filing window that was opened, um, you know, what you 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 were seeing, um, at, you know, applications that were being filed and, and, and allotments in 
in smaller communities. And I think that's entirely the case that that may be the case here as well, where, you know, you're you're not necessarily going to be looking at um, new stations that are going to be plopped in Miami, Chicago, New York, but in smaller uh, uh, college towns or more or community uh, 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 college towns or smaller uh, uh, more uh, even rural areas that are not quite as saturated, um, and that's again that's what the the job of uh, of the of, of the consulting engineer is going to be is to locate some of these uh, these communities where there is place to put in uh, 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 to put in a new a new broadcast facility. And as you know, you mentioned you know so that. Folks have to be ready to to really work with a consulting engineer to try and determine what the feasibility of that station will be in their community where they'd like to be and probably have to have some flexibility about where at least their transmitter might be sited. You know, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be right at the same place as as your studio uh, is is going to be, as it often isn't for for a lot of full power stations. But you you know, may need to have some flexibility there. And there's a possibility that it, that it may not be possible right in the area where you want to be, especially if you're in a bigger metro. Uh, it sounds like maybe you know, if you were in a in a big metropolitan area like say Chicago or New York. Maybe there is an opportunity in a in an exurb, <laughs> perhaps right, and to serve a slightly different community, um, maybe on the rim, but but it may be very difficult to have a signal which reaches say Midtown Manhattan or the Loop. That's exactly right, and 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 remember that also you need to you know have some type of uh, nexus with your. Uh, with your nonprofit or community organization, because that's, you know, frequently one of the criteria that the FCC is going to be looking at, especially with low power FM stations is, you know, are, are, are what, you know, what are you going to be using this station for? What is your non-commercial educational purpose for this station? And, you know, how are you going to be serving the community that uh, that is being covered by this station signal with the station, um, you know, they are trying to uh, prohibit, you know, what lack of a better way of putting it, just speculators who may come in and just pick up this the, the, the spectrum who really have, you know, no connection with the particular community or the coverage area. So you have several challenges, you know, you want to, find available spectrum you know find spectrum in an area where you're going to be able to service a viable community and you want to have some kind of nexus with that community so that you can show that um, there's a legitimate reason you're not just applying for spectrum to warehouse that spectrum but that you have a legitimate you know educational purpose in applying for this broadcast station and going to be using it for that purpose. Yeah, I want to I want to ask a question that is um that that is in poor taste, but it's you're we're you're referencing uh the idea that these radio frequencies when they are allocated to uh you know, when people get 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 a hold of them, they're worth a huge amount of money on in a marketplace. They can be sold, but uh That's not That's correct. But not necessarily with non-commercial. Well, <laughs> that's that's it gets complicated with low power FM. It's different. So with these huge non-commercial uh, radio stations that are being uh, offered uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, you use the word auction. Is it 
Is that how it works? Well, no. And, and, and so the, what, what, what you have is when a window, as the FCC calls it, a filing window, is opened for a, um, for a, a, a batch of spectrum that may become available. And this may be spectrum that's available nationwide, or it may be uh, you know, little pockets of spectrum in different markets across the country. Um, you may have uh, you know, no interest in spectrum in a particular area. You may have very limited interest in spectrum in a particular area, or you may have enormous interest in, in, in spectrum in a particular area. If there's a single applicant for a stretch of um, uh, bandwidth of, 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 of spectrum and literally there's no one else competing for that same spectrum um, and it can be licensed to that applicant and that applicant meets all the other criteria and that they are an educational organization, they're a nonprofit organization. I, I left out very, very important tribal communities, which are also eligible for these, uh, hmm. for these uh, 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 channels, um, then they about, will get it. I'm sorry to interrupt because I, I am very interested in your whole answer. What about churches? Yeah. Churches also, but again, they, they, they are absolutely uh, eligible for these. But, but, but the FCC does have uh, an interest in making sure that these stations are being used for an for for a, not only a non-commercial but also an educational purpose. So again, the idea is that if you are a religious organization, uh, you know, a church, um, that um, you be able to show that there is uh, an intent to use these stations for a religious, and that can be, uh, I'm sorry, for an educational, and that could be religious educational purpose. Um, so they so they absolutely do qualify. But let's say you're in a community where there is increased interest or in a community where there's a lot of interest. Well, you may have a situation where you have multiple applicants who are applying for either the same channel or who are applying for channels that cannot mutually coexist with each other. And so therefore the FCC is required to have to pick one or the other. They can't both exist. That is what the FCC calls in its parlance mutual exclusivity. Let's say that the app, the, the two or more could be four or five could be 10 applicants are mutually exclusive with each other. They cannot all exist. The FCC has to pick one. So in instances like that, the FCC has to go to some type of a mechanism to be able to break that deadlock. Now, there was a time many, many, many years ago when these uh, were done by comparative hearings. Um, there, were, there were some services that the FCC even handled by lottery, very famously the in, in the 90s, cellular licenses, early cellular telephone uh, licenses were doled out by lottery. But with, um, with current FM stations on the commercial side, they are done by auction, where it literally goes to the highest bidder. But on non-commercial, they are not done by auction, and that's because the not the, the edu non-commercial educational nature of this service is seen to be in its own category. They, you know, you don't pay filing fees uh, in applying for um, 
for these uh, 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 licenses when you file your applications. They don't pay the when they when you are licensed. You don't pay the usual annual regulatory fees, a type of a tax. They're treated almost like they are the tax-exempt status that they are. And as a result, the tiebreakers are not done by auction. They're done by a point system where the FCC will look at various criteria to determine you know, which applicant will serve the community most effectively yeah. as next to community. And they have a whole series of um, of criteria that they use, and that's a that bureaucratic. Have- that's a bureaucratic process, not a political process. I'm assuming, like the, the 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 political appointees to the FCC are not the ones deciding the points. Yeah, it's t- the idea is to make it as objective as possible. So there is a so there is an initial sort of tie breaking uh, 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 system that's put into place uh, to to determine you. Know, whether um, you know whether this is a first service in a community that has never seen uh, a broadcast facility like this before, if uh, if it's a uh, a first or second service that's going to be uh, a pro- that that's going to go to ten percent or more of the population with its uh, what they call its sixty dBU contour, and that is also going to serve at least two thousand people, then you get a particular credit for that. But assuming that there that that doesn't break. There are there's there's in in the non-commercial FM um, scenario, you have a point system. There's a set total of seven merit points that that are awarded, and you can get points for um, whether you are a local applicant. That's that you are a local and established for at least two years in that community. That's why I was talking about the importance of the nexus uh, 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 with the community and that they even want to make sure that a certain percentage, 75 percent of the board resides within the community. You can get uh, 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 points for that. Um, likewise, for that you get points what, for what's called uh, diversity of ownership, which is if the um, if the proposed station doesn't overlap with any other station that that the applicant or any part of the applicant already has an interest in, um, so there are there's a variety of different uh, other criteria that are used, and these points are then allocated to try to break the deadlock to uh, to uh, uh, to see who can get the channel. And even if there's a deadlock there, there's a third round of tiebreakers that can be, uh, that can be used that, that are all aimed at breaking the deadlock so that at the end of the day, you end up with one selectee that gets the, uh, that gets the, the permit for this station, for yeah. this channel. The voice you just heard is Frank Montero. He is a broadcast lawyer and a partner with Fletcher, Heald, and Hildreth, uh, based out of Arlington, Virginia. Very experienced a law firm working in communications law and working with radio. We're talking about some opportunities that seem to be coming up in 2021 for, uh, for organizations to apply for new non-commercial radio licenses. We've been talking about full power yeah. licenses. Paul, Paul are you, is, is it possible to put into perspective uh, – where where this opportunity uh, lies historically? How big of a deal is it that that new non commercial full power stations are are uh, being allowed to um to 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 be born again? Uh, how right? How, and how I many think it's important. It 
Yeah, it's important to note, and, and I'll and I'll turn it over to Frank to, to answer the question. You know that right that you know the way out licenses have allocate have been allocated by the FCC have changed over the years, but in most recent times, uh, the FCC has gone to a system where you know it's it's not like applying for a driver's license, right? Which is what you at your convenience, sort of when you decide it's time that you, that you are of age or ready to get a driver's license, you go to your DMV and you get one. Instead, in this case, there are there are these times when the FCC says, okay, we will now for a period of these weeks, accept applications for this type of radio station, right? And so, so Frank, when was the last time uh, there was an opportunity to uh, get a new non-commercial full-power radio station license? These, these uh, opportunities are relatively few and far between. Uh, they, you know, they, they, they cycle around. In the case of, you know, of, of, of not the non-commercial station, non-commercial educational stations, as well as the low-power stations, you know, these, these are the first opportunities that we're, that, that we're seeing, you know, in, in sort of an eight to ten year range uh, uh, here. So, you know, this is an opportunity. I believe the last uh, uh, low-power uh, FM uh, uh, license window was I want to say probably in 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 2012 I think somewhere around there. It was 2013 there, so actually. Been, yeah, it was it was the fall of 2013. Okay. Yeah, right. So it's been it, it's been a while, and 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 I think even longer with uh, non commercial. I think FM. It, yeah, I think it was like so, 2010 uh, was the last right. uh, non commercial window. Yeah. So so really, it's one of these things that if if now that we're hearing that the FCC is indicating that they'll have these windows, even if the dates haven't been released, now is the time to really organize if, if you are in a, if, if right. you're in a community where you see a need to, to create a community station or you're at like a college or a sc- or high school or a university and you feel like adding in a radio station would be a great compliment. Um, now is the time to begin yeah. getting, getting everything together. Paul, and, Paul, what would be, is it possible to give advice over the radio? What is the <laughs> well, first step? I was, I was going to ask, I was going to ask Frank. So, so let's, yeah, let's look you. specifically at the, at, at the full power stations, right? And full power stations, what they, uh, the minimum power is like about 250 Watts. Am I correct? Right. And, and, correct. and go all the way up to, to kilowatts of power. Um, you know, and you've you've already indicated that you know it seems like the opportunities will be less prominent in large metropolitan areas. You mentioned New York or or, or yeah, say, simply uh, because Chicago. those simply because those cities are full. It's you can't right. you can't cram anyone can't cram any more stations onto the dial. It's limited space. It's a full parking lot versus an empty parking lot. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's say I'm in I'm in a smaller community. Uh, you know, let's say I'm in a college town in more of a, a rural area of Missouri or rural a new area suburb. in Idaho. You know, a new a new an exurb, if you will, and it looks you know it feels like my left end of my dial isn't so so congested. Where should I start? What should I begin to do now if I think I might want to take advantage of this opportunity in 2021? You know what I would do. I mean, is first of all, there's 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 a, a there's a fair amount of literature out there uh, uh, about, about these filing windows. Our our firm, is, in fact, is going to be doing a webinar uh, about about the uh, about the filing window just next week. Uh, we have a blog that called comlawblog.com that has a a lot of information on this, but, but you should, you know, and I Frank, think I'm sorry now inter- it's good. Frank, I want to interrupt and just let the listeners know that when you refer to next week, you're talking about, um, uh, we should let the listeners yeah, we'll, know the date because we'll, we'll be broadcasting. We'll, we'll actually oh, miss sorry. it. Yeah, it's okay. We'll, okay. we'll miss it because it'll happen before this goes oh. live. So, okay. Well, but it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's on the 29th on, 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 on October 29th that there, there, there's a, uh, 
but but I think uh, th- there's going to be plenty of these that are happening because remember that um, the FCC has not even set a date yet on these, although they are starting to lay the 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 the, the precatory groundwork for this. They've already started to put out mm-hmm. proposed rules in the case of non-commercial FM. There's there's already proposals to limit the number of applications that a single applicant can put into 10, which is something that they actually was done last time around. Um, and, um, and so right now I think, you know, what, 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 what we're urging people is now's a, a very good time to identify a good consulting engineer to uh, start having that consulting, working with that consulting engineer to, uh, to, 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 so that they can familiarize themselves with, what you're looking for and, and vice versa um, to also keep track of what um, what's going on at the FCC in terms of, you know, these public notices, because the, this information is going to be trickling out over the course of the next uh, uh, weeks and months. Um, and so, uh, and the, and when, when the information comes out, you know, you're going to have very specific deadlines that are going to be announced, not the least of which, of course, is going to be the actual filing window itself. And they call it a filing window because it's a it's usually a stretch of time during which the applications will be accepted, but will not be accepted after the last day of that window. So it's it's important to you know know when that window is coming up. And, you know, there's not a situation where the FCC is going to call you on the phone and say, hey, this is your wake up call time for you to get you ready. You have to uh, uh, be uh, conscious of what's going on. And that's why having, say, a a professional like an engineer involved, having a law firm, you know, involved as well to to be able to assist you with uh, because an important aspect of this is going to be um, structuring your ownership you know, making sure your nonprofit is, uh, 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 you know, is, is set up and, 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 and satisfies all the requirement. To also make sure that, um, that you, you know, that, 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 that the ownership structure of your organization does not have any characteristics that might disqualify it from being a participant. This is a particularly true, say, in low power FM, where there are very, very strict ownership requirements restrictions on the ability to have an interest in a low power station and say a full power station or in the case of a full powers uh, applicant that, 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 you know, if you have ownership interest in other stations, it may uh, 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 cause you to forfeit certain points in the, uh, in the point tiebreaker system. You know, a, a good lawyer will walk you through, you know, at, this could be a problem. This could be a liability for you in the point system. You know, this could increase your, 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 your chance in the point system. And the other important thing, um, and I think this is a, a, a really important to point out. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, be a, a, a little cautious as I say this, but I think it's worth stating. Um, especially, in the low power FM arena, but I think low, it's not confined to low power. When these windows open up, um, there are a lot of um, questionable service providers that are out there. There's going to be people out there who are looking to sell you equipment, 
to sell transmitters, to sell, you know, engineering services, to sell you space on a tower or the tower itself. Um, and you have to be really, really careful because there were that there were a lot of small um, nonprofit organizations, you know, local colleges, um, you know, community groups that were frankly ripped off um, during the last window, uh, because they were just looking to sell equipment. Um, you know, do not, uh, uh, you know, the, the, even the FCC will say, do not start purchasing equipment, uh, now or purchasing equipment. You know, when you, when you uh, send by your application, uh, when you submit your application, because if by some chance you do not win, or not awarded a, a construction permit, you know, that equipment is, is not, is not useful to you at all, but there are plenty of folks out there that would love to sell you sort of these turnkey services where we're going to, we're going to give you a lawyer we're going to give you an engineer and then you buy all this equipment and you're good to go. Um, and you know, some of the, some of the engineering services that those groups uh, provided was faulty. Mm. Um, their applications were dismissed. And then when, wow. uh, yeah, when they were dismissed and then, and then afterwards, you know, the church, whoever was stuck with all this transmitting equipment, very valuable transmitting equipment that cost them a ton of money that is basically, you know, sitting unusable in their warehouse because they don't have a license to transmit with. Well, that brings up a good question, Frank. I wonder if you can give us at least some sense. I realize that you are a lawyer and not an engineer, but it sounds like you're telling us if 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 we want to, if someone wants to participate, or an organization, really, a nonprofit wants to participate in the upcoming uh, licensing window for non-commercial full power radio license, um, they're going to need to have some capital on hand, right? So even if they're advised not to go buy build studios, buy transmitters, etc., in advance. Um, you know, if they're awarded a license, they're going to have to do that stuff, right? And they and they've got a a window of time to do it. Correct about how long do they have to to if they're if they're awarded that construction permit? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And in fact, you know the 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 ability to have sort of the the the, the financial resources to um, to construct the facility and to operate the facility are are all going to be um, you know factors that the FCC will take advantage uh, will, ta- will take consideration of. And in fact, there's even a question on the FCC application form for the full power non-commercial um, station, which incidentally is, is, is referred to these, you know, these are government forms. So they're, they all, they assign them your, 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 these government uh, uh, numbers, but it's called a, a form, an FCC form 340, 340. But, um, but there's a, there's actually a, a a question on the application as to whether or not you have sufficient net liquid assets to construct and operate the station for three months without additional funding, and uh, and so they want to make sure that you know that you have uh, sufficient uh, uh, capital on hand because these construction permits when if if you are um, a selectee as it's called. If you if you either are the only applicant for a frequency, or if there are multiple applicants, but you happen to be lucky enough to have the the most points and you win the the, the permit uh, as a result of the tiebreaker, 
what you receive from the SEC initially is a, a piece of paper, which is a construction permit. And that construction permit is going to give you a limited period of time, three years, to construct that, per, that, 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 that station. Um, you have to build it and you have to get it on the air within the time period before the permit expires. But what that means, of course, is that during all that construction time, you are, um, you, you are uh, 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 you know, putting in an investment of capital without any, a- any return. There's no station. It's still just, you know, it's just an unbuilt construction permit. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the capital to be able to, you know, navigate your way through the application process uh, to, um, if you're lucky enough to win the permit to basic to 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 uh, to 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 build the station, and that includes possibly either erecting a tower or uh, or 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 leasing space on the tower. One of the things, it, another question on the application is to you have to certify that you actually have assurance of a, a, a of a tower site, and mm. and you need to include that as well. Um, and then once once the station is up and running, um, you have to be able to operate that station uh, knowing well that it's going to take a little while for your organization to ramp up uh, and uh, and get a, a full head of steam going. So, you know, it's it's a slow process that's uh, that, that 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 and you have to be able to uh, you have to be able to underwrite that because the worst thing would be to, you know, uh, invest all that money to only get you know halfway or two thirds of the way through the process, and then you 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 run out of money, and you you never got your station on the right, air. Right, right. And I've seen I've seen tons of instances of you know organizations doing fire sales of permits that are about to run out of time, oh. and they want to try to get some money out of it because they ran out of money to be able to build it. Yeah, uh, and, and, and so when we're talking about that money, Frank, you know, we're definitely talking about tens of thousands of dollars, right? I, and I realize that it's going to vary depending on the market, you know, and the availability of things like tower space or, or, or all sorts of, you know, really physical plant costs. But we're really talking about tens of thousands of dollars yeah. at the very and least you to get even, off the ground here, aren't and we? You, and you haven't even started talking about... Uh, staff to make the radio so that listeners right, right. will appreciate uh, what you're putting Absolutely. out on the airwaves. This is Radio Survivor. We're talking with an expert on uh, radio law, on media law, because there's a FCC window opening up for new full-power non-commercial radio stations for the first time in the um, since we've been on the air here at Radio Survivor for five years. Uh, there's also a new low-power FM window opening up, which is very exciting to us at Radio Survivor. I I don't want to take up too much of our time asking a dumb question, so I'm going to ask Paul to rein me in. But I'm wondering (laughs) about if this moment is a reasonable moment, Paul, uh, for low-power FM stations to upgrade, right, to become full-power non-commercial radio stations in their community. I think it's a great question for Frank, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, sadly, there is uh, – the the way the FCC um, treats – uh, low power FM stations. They are they are considered to be their own classification uh, of station. Think, for example, the difference between AM versus FM. Um, that's uh, th- those are two 
completely different, distinct classes of radio uh, uh, stations. The FCC, um, you know, there, there's some overlap in the way they're regulated, but they are treated very distinct and very separate. And the same thing with low-power FM. Uh, you know, if you are an AM station, you cannot convert it to an FM station. And if you are a low-power FM station, you cannot convert it to a full-power non-commercial FM station. You, 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 you could um, apply to increase your power within limits, within staying within the, the limits of the low-power FM service, but to actually transform a low-power FM station into a full-power commercial uh full power non-commercial fm station is not an option right but what if the best organization to apply for this new <clears throat> full power fm license which is a, such a great opportunity for the cities where this is possible i i imagine that that people that the groups, the organizations, the the people that have been running low power FM stations now for ten years or five years are among the most qualified to do yeah, the work. Yeah, I'll just they... follow up there, Frank, because I know of a few low power FM stations. I'm thinking of KPOV, which is in Bend, Oregon. Um, started out life as a as a low power FM through the first window in in 2000, and later uh, was able to apply for and get a, a full power license. Although. My understanding is that they also then seeded that low power FM. Yeah, that's exactly right. So basically, that it is it is possible to you know uh, um, trade up, if you will, to uh, uh, to 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 apply for a a a, a non commercial a full power non commercial FM station. However, because of the ownership limitations that are placed on low power FM stations, you you cannot have an interest in a low power FM station. And that applies not just to your organization, but even to members of your board uh, cannot have an interest in that low power FM station and simultaneously have an interest in the full power non-commercial station. So as a result, um, you know, if you are going to apply for a non-commercial FM station, precisely as you described with the Bend, Oregon instance, you would have to divest uh, or have that board member divest their interest uh, in the low-power FM station. And that is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, going back to what I was speaking earlier, when you are getting prepared uh, for these windows, consulting with uh, counsel on your structure is so important because, you know, you do not want to suddenly discover uh, some disqualifying aspect of your ownership structure or that you have a, uh, you know, a board member that would be disqualifying. And then it's too late to do anything about it. Um, when, when, when you apply this, you want to, you know, map that out early on. And then, um, and then if, you know, if divestitures are going to be necessary, make sure that those divestitures are, 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 are put in and place. And by divestiture, okay. you're basically saying, you know, I'm going to put this into, into a little less legalese, is basically you're saying um, if I'm, uh, you know, a member, you know, basically uh, uh, it requires a non 
nonprofit organization of some sort to own a non-commercial radio license, and that could be a school, it could be an independent nonprofit, it could be a church, and usually, and, and usually by state or federal laws, these organizations have boards of directors who are essentially the people who have the interest, such as it is. If I'm serving on the board of that non-commercial, uh, of that low-power FM that wants to trade up, I need to, need to actually really leave that board to create a new organization and vice versa. If I'm on a, uh, if I'm on the board of a uh, local community radio station or, uh, and, and it's a full power station. And then I'm, I also know some folks on it and another organization. I want to create a low power FM and I want to be on that board too. I can't be on both. I got to choose one or the other more or less. That's exactly right. And it's what the FCC refers to an attributable interest and that attributable, you cannot have an attributable interest in both. And that, that attribution runs not just to the nonprofit organization, but anyone that has an attributable interest in the organization. And that, that, that includes uh, members of the boards of directors. I'll tell you another interesting one, for example, is that there, there's a provision for uh, low power, FM applicants that that a disqualifying factor is if there's if if they had ever been found guilty in the past of running a pirate radio station, for example. Well, right. I mean, I'm not saying that this happens that often, but if you had a member, a board member who at one point or another in, in their past uh, uh, had run an, a, a, a pirate radio station, that could be a disqualifying factor. You need to have your board, you know, you, be, you know, what, I, what, 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 what we suggest is to, especially with organizations that may have larger boards, is to have a questionnaire that goes out that they can fill out information so that you can, you know, aggregate all this information, see where the potential problems are, and be able to deal with them early on. On, uh, before the window is open. Well, Frank Montero, uh, thanks so much for giving us uh, sort of the, the laying out what the rules of the road will be here going into 2021. As we sort of said earlier on in, in the interview, you know, we see on the horizon there will be an opportunity for people to apply for. Uh, full power, non-commercial radio licenses, so licenses for that spectrum between 88 and 92 uh, megahertz on their FM dial. Um, and then we also foresee uh, coming sometime after that window will be an opportunity for low power FM. I don't think we have quite the time to get into that, but it's also a little further away. Um, right. and we, and we, Future I hope, episode. I hope Future we have episode. an opportunity to talk with you again to talk a little bit more specifically, because especially because uh, the low power FM licenses, as you said, are, are intended to be more accessible and easier to get, especially for smaller organizations, schools, and nonprofits. Um, and and uh, there may be you know more of an opportunity there or a more easily realized opportunity. But you've given us a great place to start, and certainly. Um, Folks can look at the uh, at, at the website and blog that put out by your uh, firm Fletcher Heald in Hildreth. Um, right, but that's luckily, correct. It's easier to remember. It's called comlawblog.com. And of course, we'll have a link to that at the Radio Survivor correct. website, radiosurvivor.com. Um, Frank, you're a partner there at that uh, at that law firm, and we really appreciate you taking some time with us here. I really appreciate it. It's been great. I've been very much enjoyed uh, speaking with both of you. And yeah, keep an, keep an eye out for these windows as they open in 2021. Wonderful. And we will definitely, we'll, we'll put, I'll probably be publishing, I published a, at least a post on our website when the, 
when uh, Chairman Pai first sent his letter to the to Congress, and I'll follow up with what we know, part, mostly pointing to your to your blog yeah. post. But you I think know. we're. I had a question, but I might be. Is now an okay time to talk about whether? I mean, because we could we could put this in the podcast. It won't fit on the radio. I'm just extremely curious about uh, uh, profiteering, right? Like these these especially the full power stations we oh, so i know from i learned from paul doing the work of radio survivor that low power fm radio it, the way that they gave out the licenses they made sure you couldn't profit off of them they just went back they got absorbed back into the body of the spectrum without being uh, sold for money but the full power spectrum stations they're worth a lot of money and people could Get some places they're not worth much in some places. Good point. Uh, a lot of a lot of radio survivors' energy over the last five years has been talking about uh, college radio stations that were worth more money to be sold than to be operated, and we lost so many big stations that way. Um, is there is there something in the in the rules to keep people from uh, getting rich? Well, the the uh, with the full power stations, I mean, they're, they're right now they they can be bought and sold, and you know they they you know what, what the limits the out of pocket limits tend to run more uh, with regard to uh, programming agreements, for example. So in so a, a very um, a popular way to monetize commercial stations, for example, is through what's called a time brokerage agreement to be able to let others come in, program your station, pay a lot of money to... to (laughs) Is uh, is it okay to... uh, Here, Paul, you could stop me and I'll cut this out of the podcast, but I want to leave it in. We've... uh, Jennifer Waits has been producing some episodes of Radio Survivor that... uh, that are exploring the world of Christian radio more and more. And Uh so we bubbled up on a list and we get offers all the time now to pay to get radio survivor on Christian radio stations all around the country. And it's, is that right? And we laugh because we don't, we're not going to take that opportunity. We wonder if it's a story we should report. <laughs> we love the money to do it, and we're not really uh, apostolistic but in it, our uh, But it outlook. made us realize that there's this huge marketplace where people pay to get on the radio, on Christian no, radio. No, absolutely. I mean, if you've ever been, you know, if you've ever been to the um, National Religious Broadcasters uh, Convention, I mean, it is it is it's very intensive on, on, on uh, pro, you know, programming and and the, the the distribution of programming and syndicated programming and the like yeah and that's and all in the world of enormous. non-commercial radio so people you no, that, no those are all commercial stations not, that all, are of it, not okay. all of it so yeah. for example sorry, sorry for you know oh my God. no not all of it. yeah because like for example like the two biggest um the two biggest um christian broadcasters in the country i i, I certainly radio broadcasters and I, I believe this is correct is you have um, you have uh, EMF, um, Educational Media Foundation, on the one hand, you know, their stations are all uh, non-commercial. But then you have Salem Communications, and Salem stations are commercial. So they, they – and, and in fact, Salem is a publicly traded company. So they, they go about it, you know, very, very differently. But yet it's, you know, it's clearly all – uh, a religious programming, so it's not it's not all that way. Yeah, I, but, I know, just want to point EMF, out EMF. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. EMF is huge. Yeah. No, I was just going to say EMF is an, an EMF is one of the biggest broadcasters in the country. Radio broadcasters. That's the non-commercial Christian radio. Yep. So they, yeah, and in, and, and I, I want to be very clear. They could win a lot of licenses in this upcoming window. EMF might grow. Okay, but but Paul. 
Yeah, EMF is not the ones hitting us up. We're basically we're getting emails from small, uh, you know, relatively small commercial radio groups that are Christian broadcasters. Right, so right. That's that's and, who's you know, us. And the funny thing is that if they are, if they are um, using non-commercial licenses, then you know, technically there is a limit. Their, their limits and, and, and how much they can charge for that broadcasting time on their station because they're not supposed to be able to, you know, uh, uh, profiteer uh, off of those, off of those, uh, off of those licenses. It's the same concept that goes behind not selling commercial advertising time, right? I mean, they're allowed to sell, un- they're not allowed to have underwriting announcements. But they're not allowed to flat out sell. They're not, not supposed to have a rate card right. with, with with commercial time, even though the fact of the matter is we know they do. But <laughs> but, but but you're not. But yeah, I mean they do. Yeah, but, I know. but they're they're, I know. they're not they're not they're not supposed to just to do that. But there there are also these very complicated um, ownership structures that, that 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 can operate out there where you you know you can have um, uh, you know. When I, in the 90s, I was with a firm with what, what one of our biggest clients was CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network. And they, you know, we had a, uh, we had CBN, which is a nonprofit. But then CBN had a series of subsidiaries, including one of which was the Family Channel. Family Channel was a wholly owned uh, subsidiary of CBN. It was a for-profit co- company. So CBN owned the stock, 100% of the stock of Family Channel. You know, ultimately they ended up selling it to ABC, Disney. You still, you know, it still be, it became ABC Family. If you ever wonder why there's, you know, an hour of 700 club uh programming uh in what you it's it's not called abc family anymore i can't remember what the abc changed the name of it now but if there's a, there's an i remember my, my 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 daughters used to watch it when they were little and they couldn't figure out they were like daddy why why is you know why do why is all this religious stuff come up it's because uh uh it's because cbn actually negotiated that into the contract with disney that they could retain an hour of programming every night so you know they that, that was a that's a that, that was a for profit uh, 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 you know, you know, endeavor that, but, but it was nonetheless wholly owned by a nonprofit organization. Yeah. Is it okay to ask about if the FCC has any way to weigh, uh, cause it just seems so, I mean, I guess it's really a different show. Well, Frank, I'm Frank so yeah, it's a different it, show, so me, and, and, and I think what Frank answered the question a little bit, uh, I think where you're going, Eric, is that, that the FCC looks at the, in, in, in assigning the, the non-commercial license, it looks at whether you actually intend to use it <laughs> right? yeah. and, and, and have the means to use it, right? So, so the, explicitly from the outset, especially in a non-commercial spectrum, they're trying to construct the system in a way that discourages the trafficking in licenses. That's exactly right. Right. That that and and, yeah. and it's pretty. I mean, and it's why they have holding periods as well. You know? they, they impose holding periods on, on on some of these on some of these permits and licenses, precisely for that reason. So so that you're not so that you don't apply for them and then flip them. So you know, so that that's th- those holding periods are are, are are there for that reason as well. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, uh, eventually they they are unshackled. They become in, they become a. A, 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 a an asset that can be bought and sold and, and traded 
just like any other. Yeah, but it wouldn't be like it's not like uh, uh, you know uh, trafficking and you know tickets to the Super Bowl, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not something no. you can just. It's not something you can just simply uh, turn around and just sell. You would have to put in this investment of time and money, fairly significant one for quite some time. Um, right. And, and, and certainly <laughs> there are easier ways to get rich in America. Well, and there's, and, and you know, you might as well work on an, an, on a commercial license in that case. Yeah. <laughs> where there's, fewer you know, I, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, I have a lot of, you know, uh, you know, potential clients broadcasters out there who contact me and they say, you know, when is a window opening up? How can I do this? And, um, I really want to apply for an FM station or the like, and, um, you know, I, 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 sometimes I ask them, you know, are, are you sure, are you sure this is what you want to do? Because, um, you know, you could, first of all, you're going to you know, apply for this station. There's no guarantee that you're going to get it. Um, even if you do get it, you're going to have to ex- expend a lot of money to build it, get a tower, get on the air. And it's going to be a long while uh, before this station is up and running. Whereas, you know, you could go there. There are stations out there that you know, that are that are for sale right now. Valuations are down, especially after the pandemic. Um, you know, and you could you could you can buy a signal and buy a buy buy a station or buy a stick with a with a with a tower lease and be on the air pretty quickly. You could even do an, uh, a TBA and get on the air pretty quickly. I don't know. It just seems like there's easier ways to get on the air. Frank, I know it's a little past five year time. I really appreciate it uh, that you took this time late on a Friday. Um, this is fantastic, and, and we really, I do hope we can talk with you again when that LPFM window becomes a little clearer. Okay, wonderful. I'd love to a- anytime. I really, I had a lot of fun, and I really uh, enjoy this very much. Well, what a fun show on Radio Survivor because, like you said, Paul, the one of the most common emailed questions that Radio Survivor gets in its inbox is, "How do I?" Start a radio station. Where where can I do it? And your answer, of course, I'll paraphrase. It's complicated. It's expensive, and you'll have to wait for the FCC to open a window. And here we are. The a window happens to be opening. So it it it, it continues to be complicated and expensive. But at least now we know a time frame of when new radio stations uh, will be um, possible to be created in the United States. It's exciting. It- and we didn't imagine that we could give you everything you need to know just in one interview so much as we just wanted to open the door and really give folks a sense for, for what's involved. And, and, and I think one of the first things that's involved that, that often uh, folks who come to this uh, new don't always realize is you need some friends, right? That by and large, this is not a go-it-alone go kind of enterprise. This, this is not going to be uh, my radio station. It's going to be our radio station. And you'll need to choose those folks that you do with it could be a pre-existing nonprofit organization or community organization you might choose to put together a, a nonprofit uh, organization or to do this but by and large the thing to keep in mind is this does not become Paul's radio station um, that this is not what these are intended for they're really intended to be community enterprises one way or another and so uh, at least one part of that organizing you need to do right now is if is if you don't already have a coalition of people or a group of people with that common interest is to find or put together that group of people because that's really what it takes to put this type of radio on the air. Yeah, yeah. If if uh, if you want to go it alone, there's uh, some really fun opportunities on the internet. We'd love to tell you about. But uh, this kind of radio station is it's a it's a it's a big deal, and so uh, it tends tends you tend to need an established nonprofit or 
or you'll have to build a very robust uh, nonprofit organization. What a fun episode today. Hey, Paul, we should let the listeners know that if they're listening to the radio version, uh, there we had a slightly longer conversation with our guest today about um, – about the media landscape and what's at stake here with this new filing window for non-commercial broadcasting. And I'd love listeners to hear, hear that, uh, the end of our conversation. We, we talked about, um, well, we talked about, uh, if there is a potential for, for things to go sideways, I would say I, as a skeptic and a cynic, I was a little bit concerned that maybe, uh, there'd be entities that could swoop in and make money off this opportunity. And that was, we talked about that briefly at the conclusion of today's uh, radio program, which is available to our podcast listeners. You can get our podcast online at radiosurvivor.com or anywhere where you get your podcasts. You can subscribe for free. It's always available to Radio Survivor listeners. You can also email us. Our email address is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Radio Survivor is a listener and reader-supported enterprise. To find out more, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. My name is Eric Klein. Your name is Paul Reese-Mandel. Jennifer Waits also makes this radio program with us. And Matthew Lazar writes every day on radiosurvivor.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>